Thing. Would you help me welcome one more time our global online family, wherever you are tuning in from. I'm so glad that you are with us today. I am so excited to kick off this series. And if I haven't met you, I'm Russ. Would love to meet you afterwards. I'm on the team here. And really something important, I would love to you just to go ahead and write this down. So, you know, I believe note takers are history makers. So go ahead and write this down. Wednesday, write it down. I don't see your, your hands moving. I'm going to ask the Lord to give you onset adult acne if you don't write this down. That, that, sorry, you shouldn't say that, should you? Um, uh, Wednesday was Pastor Russ's birthday. And so turn to the person beside you, look him right in the eye, say, well, what'd you get him? Just, just ask them, say, what'd you get them? So, there are new people in this room. They're like, you're supposed to bring gifts to the, the pastors? Yes. Yes, you are. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But um, it was my birthday. Turned 24. It was amazing. And um, uh, it's just been, it's been, a, it's been amazing. It's been another, another year of life and, and feeling young. But it did remind me of a birthday story. Since you all love my stories. <sighs> <laughs> Deafening silence, okay. Um, and I think I've told this one before, but in the spirit of birthdays, uh, I got to take my, my worst birthday ever. And Alan, my buddy Alan, give it up for him. He, he flew all the way from Greenville, South Carolina, just to hear me speak. Or he was already in town for work and drove on over. It's one of the two. But uh, he was there. So I, uh, you know, to celebrate my 30th, so I am at least a little over 30, uh, I took a whole group to, I wanted to do this whole thing at Sky Zone. Do we have that around here, Sky Zone? This is when I was living in Atlanta. It's like, you know, the trampoline parks, and you got a dodgeball, and you go flying 50 feet in the air and dunk, and it feels incredible. And there was a guy at our church that had had his 30th birthday party there, and like, and I was just like, wait, adults can do these kind of things and have fun, and like, a, you know, and I mean, just the most vicious game of dodgeball ever, I'm pretty sure I won, it was amazing, and I was like, well, I'm going to do this for my 30th, I'm going to plan, it's going to be the most fun party ever, and I made a couple strategic and crucial mistakes in the planning. One, if you're going to do something like that, you got to go all out and get a a bunch of people there, right? But I combined that idea with, hey, you know, everyone's getting older, they have kids, maybe I'll just do like a more intimate gathering, like five or six of us. And then I was like, and, you know, to be nice, some of these guys have kids, we'll go to dinner, um, or, no, 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 we'll do Sky Zone around 5 o'clock, 5.30, and then we'll go to dinner afterwards around 6.30. Those two things backfired brutally. And I will not show you pictures, but... If you can imagine, 30 years old, grown man, only two people showed up because I only had like an intimate gathering and, and I had it too early so most people weren't off work yet. And I'll never forget, there is not a lower moment as a 30-year-old man on your birthday than jumping up and down on a trampoline with my dad with his camera ready to capture the action and my sweet mom on my left saying, Honey, you having fun? Yes, I'm having fun. Can you not ask me that again? I'm having a whole lot of fun, and I love this moment. This is what I planned. This is what I had in mind, and I'm just jumping up and down, and my dad's just, you know, just waiting to cap capture the action. I think I snuck into a few uh, dodgeball games with some 10- and 11-year-olds, and I crushed them, and I didn't even feel bad about it. It was honestly therapy. And I say that to say, you, you, ever, you ever had just a moment or a season that you look back and you're like, and that didn't go like I had in mind. And it's funny when it's those moments, but, you know, a lot of this, this talk comes out of what do you do? In the, you ever been in a season? Here's what I know. 
Anybody ever been in a season where you, you had in your mind the dream of what marriage was going to look like? And then you step into a marriage that's volatile or you step on the other side of the divorce and you look back and it is not what you had in mind. Or you never imagined that that little thing would end up in an addiction and a habit that maybe you've been afraid to tell even your closest friends. Maybe it's what happens when you're alone at night in the dark or maybe it's the, your relationship with a substance or maybe it's just depression or anxiety. How many would say, I, I never imagined that anxiety and depression when I looked over my life, that is not what I had in mind. The, the, the book really goes a lot through the children of Israel and their story, this, this story of God bringing his people out of captivity, and the goal was for them to step into a life of their dreams, and instead that first generation died off, 40 of them, 40 years in the wilderness, and then died, and that was not what they had in mind. For me, 2016 did not go as what I had in mind. And I won't bore you with all the details now, but I'll just tell you, I came out of what felt like a year of momentum, a year of ministry momentum. I was living in Atlanta. Church was going amazing. And then within a few short months, things flipped. And I went through a season that was packed with anxiety, uh, some chemical depression. I've not talked a lot about it. I saw counselors during this time. I know that's a lot of your stories, uh, some ministry turmoil, some relational heartbreak. The, the pressure of the season became so intense, in fact, that one day I was driving back uh, out of town and just TMI, sorry, this graphic, I, I noticed that welts had started forming on my body. And I went to the doctor. I didn't know that you could be under 60 years old and develop shingles. But the stress of the season was so intense on me that for a few months I, I had developed shingles and this, the pain of the season became so real that I, I ended up just taking a whole month uh, off ministry, kind of a, a sabbatical. And, and during that time, I, you know, I flew in to see some friends and family in South Carolina, and then I flew out to Dallas, Texas to be with some friends there at a church there. And one of those days, I was processing with a good friend uh, by the pool, and every word that I would say, he would come back at it, no matter how dark it was. Because by the way, how many like me, you've looked back on bad seasons, and if you're really real, you were a part of what made that season a bad season? Okay, a bunch of holy people. Anybody ever look back on a season, and you're like, yeah, I didn't help myself? So that was part of it, just to be honest. I'm not going to act like I was a victim of the circumstance. Sometimes I'm a perpetuator of the storm. And But I was telling him everything that happened, and over every moment of the story, he would repeat, grace of God. Grace of God, grace of God. And then he said something infuriating. I, I know this sounds dramatic, but the thought in my mind during that whole season was, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I, have a, I can just only imagine there's people in this room that you don't know if you're going to make it. Maybe that doesn't mean death. Maybe that means I don't know if our marriage is going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to make it financially. I don't know if my emotional tank is going to make it through this season. And I didn't know if I was going to, make it. And while I'm thinking this, he looks at me and he says, he's one of those guys that's normal follower of Jesus, but just has an ear for the voice of God. Like I've always just desired to strongly have. And, and he looked at me and just, he said, you're going to ride out of this season and it's going to help a lot of people. And I thought to myself, 
I hate you. <laughs> what kind of, I'm just trying to survive. Don't tell me. You, you, you ever been just so low and then somebody tries to give you a cliche? Well, God's going to use this season. I'm like, well, why wish God would just get me out of this season? And I don't need your cliche. I just need to get better. But sure enough, a few months later, just some things that I felt like, just some revelation, to be honest, I felt like God began downloading that was getting me to shore. I began writing it therapeutically. And yeah, like, like Pastor Tim mentioned, it's turned into um, five years later, really a journey. It's turned into a book. And um, uh, just so you know, a couple of these weeks is we're going to unpack stuff just in case anyone besides my mom, hey, mom, buys it. Um, <laughs> most of this material um, is, is cutting room floor stuff. It's bo- t- tell the person beside you, it's bonus material, bonus mater- material. And, and what I want to talk about is hope because... And I'm just, is it okay? I'm just going to talk out of my heart today about hope. I may not even get to half my notes, but we're, I just, I feel like we're in, in, in a world that needs hope. And, and what's, I also think it's kind of, I don't want to say divine or fate or destiny, but that this people of Israel, they were quarantined in the desert. I, I believe part of the reason perhaps this journey of this book has taken so long is for it to hopefully encourage someone that we've just come out of 18 months of being quarantined in our own wildernesses and in our global wildernesses. And I've been convinced my whole life, but I'm convinced more than ever. And this is the main reason I'm so excited about this series was I was in here praying for you last night. You're like, you don't even know me, but I was praying for you last night because I've become convinced more than ever that the number one valuable resource that we have and that we've needed over the last 18 months, I used to think it was toilet paper. Anybody else, you still hold on to that last, uh, that, that last roll? Um, I finally ran out. I got to order more. But um, that 26-pack I bought, you know, last March, it, it lasted. But you're like, why are you telling me this? I don't, really don't know. But for a while, I thought the most valuable resource was toilet paper. For a while, I was kicking myself that I never invested in stock Zoom. Those guys are millionaires. Hello? But I've become convinced more than ever that the most valuable resource on planet Earth is hope. It's the thing I need more than ever. Hey, can I say this? Can I just get on a rooftop and shout this? It's the thing our world needs more than ever. And can I just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. In these dark and divided times, I've become convinced that what the world needs when they see my life is not more of my opinions, not more of my political frustrations, not more of my fear, not more of the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I believe the world is thirsty and desperate to see people that if I'm following Jesus and I have in me Christ, the hope of glory, that I am a walking, talking dispenser of hope. I want people to look at my life and say, everybody else has their tongue full of negativity and criticism and fear, but there's something a, a different about Russ. While everybody else is cursing the darkness, he's just a shining brighter. While everybody else is cursing what's going on around him, there's a glow on his face. There's a shine about him. There is fear on everybody's tongue, but there's faith upon Russ's lips. And I've become convinced that, you know, I think sometimes that we, we think of hope like this cute little inspirational Hallmark card. It goes great on the little Instagram posts. Hope a day keeps the doctor away. That's not a thing. I don't know. But you know, you know what I mean? But we, we look at it. Can I tell you, in this world and especially in dark times and wilderness times, hope is not a luxury. It's a necessity. I mean, maybe you've heard of the survivor's rule of three. You ever heard of this? I don't know if these stats are correct, but they say a human being can last uh, three months without companionship or love. They can last three weeks without food, three days without water, three hours in extreme temperature. 
uh, without shelter, three minutes, unless you're David Blaine, without air, but only three seconds without hope. In fact, I would, I would, I would contend that the moment, the second someone loses hope is when they make the tragic decision to step out of this life. I would say that hope is actually the most vital resource. And, and throughout the Psalms, David would write things like this. In Psalm 37, he wrote, do not fret, it only leads to evil. Any warriors in the house like me, you need to hear that sometimes. Do not fret, it only leads to evil, but hope in the Lord and he will exalt you to inherit the land. In other words, me keeping hope alive in my heart is actually tethering me to step into the future that I would dream of God to provide for me. And then in Hebrews 6, it says something like this. It says that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. So there alone, we see that hope does two things. It's not a little Hallmark card luxury. Hope is actually what pulls me into a beautiful future and anchors me in a painful present. In fact, I would say hope when we lack it. And so I just brought up, you know, they, they say for every bad sermon, you need a good illustration, a good prop. So I got just the cheesiest but maybe the most important question anybody would ask you, how full is your hope bucket today? One to 10, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. How full is it? In fact, why don't you do this since you love doing this so much. Turn to the person beside you, tell them your number. Tell them. You got a lot of whisperers, I'm presuming. Well, what is it? And I wanna give you four, th there's a lot of things that happen when we lack hope. Can I give you four things that happen when we lack hope? Take your silence as a heck yeah, is that, is that good? <laughs> Y'all know, you got, this is a conversation. Number one, when we lack hope, this may surprise you, number one, and I'll write this down, we treat people different. You ever thought about that? When I look back on the most hope-filled seasons of my life, uh, let me just tell you something stupidly simple. If you're getting really frustrated with your child in the morning, but then you get a call that you won the lottery, $2 billion, do you think you'll have enough in the tank to be a little bit nicer? <laughs> Sweetie, I know I just grounded you for life, but actually, I'm going to take you. We're going to get anything you want. Today's a good day. God's good. Jesus is alive. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. Can, can I tell you what I've noticed in my life? When hope is a habit, love is a reflex. And the seasons of my life when I'm the most quick-tempered, the most frustrated are the seasons when I lack the most hope. You, you could look at neighborhoods. Hey, guess what? We get really, uh, some, some people get really frustrated and judgmental about violent neighborhoods. We all obviously want violence to end, but have you ever noticed, think about it, at least from a, a, a lens of compassion, the most troubled and violent neighborhoods are the most hopeless neighborhoods. It's when people lose hope that they don't have a vision for the future. So, we treat people different. A second thing that happens when we lack hope is we remain stuck in the past. See, hope only exists in the future. Have you ever thought about that? Hope doesn't exist in the past. In fact, I've heard it said that regret is just hope in reverse. See, I can't move forward if my feet are facing backwards. Have you ever, you ever met somebody and maybe you're this person, and if so, I'm not stepping on your toes. You ever met somebody that is still rehearsing the same bitter narrative of how somebody hurt them three months later, three years later, six years later? And if, you, and, and if that's you or if you have, this is, this is, some wounds are harder to heal than others. So this is not diminishing the pain. But can I tell you something? After a healthy period of grieving, a healthy period of processing, 
Can I tell you, the person that is still licking the wounds of yesterday is the person who is yet to allow themselves to receive fresh hope for tomorrow. When you have hope for tomorrow, you do not even have the emotional energy to want to look backwards. So today, if my eyes are trapped in the rear view, that just means I've yet to catch a glimpse of something better through the windshield. Hope, a lack of hope makes me remain stuck in the past. A lack of hope, number three, makes me become sick. We become sick. During that 2016 period, I went with my family to Crater Lake in Oregon, and we were getting ready to go on this boat ride, beautiful. And to be honest, for the last month, I'd just been numb. I hadn't even let my emotions catch up to it. And I heard, it's almost like a movie. You ever just, it's almost like you hear somebody's voice in your mind? I heard my pastor at that time, my mentor, is like in my mind, he wasn't with me, quote this verse to me. And it's Proverbs 13, 12, and it says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I almost, like, almost like I was listening to him whisper in my ear, son, you're just heart sick right now. And I wonder how many people in this room that it's affected every relationship, and some of us it's even affected us physically because there's a heart sickness. But a longing fulfills the truth. I love the TPT translation. It says it this way. When hopes, dreams drag on and on, the delay can be depressing. Some of us are just heart sick right now. Number four, when we lack hope, here's what happens. We don't step into the future. We don't step into the future. And so I want to talk just for a moment about some ways to replenish hope. And I want to talk about a character from scripture. Anybody seen any good movies lately, by the way? What'd you see, Stacey? Dear Evan Hansen. Is that real? Okay. Okay. That is real. If you've not yet, (laughs) several people have told me they saw Ted Lasso since I mentioned a few weeks. Anybody done that? Uh, never mind, okay. I thought you said you had, but no one in the entire room. Um, if you've not seen it, you need, <laughs> you need to see, I want to say it right, Shang-Chi. Is that right? So good. Come on. You need to see it. But one of my favorite movies of all time, and some of you may think this is super weird, is The Great Gatsby. The one with um, Leonardo DiCaprio. This was, even though I've always loved to read, I hated what they required us to read in high school. This was the only book I loved. I loved The Great Gatsby. And there's a whole lot of reasons for it, but the, the main character, if you've not seen it, Jay Gatsby, he's this very broken, flawed, delusional man. But one of the things I love about him, one of the traits, and I'll just give you a heads up in case you're at my funeral, you can say this. This is the thing that I won't set at my funeral. Nick Carraway, the guy that's writing it, he says about Jay Gatsby, he says, I think he may be the most hope-filled man I've ever met. And I decided a long time ago, if they ever say anything else about me, I hope they say Russell's one of the most hope-filled people I've ever met. He was one of the most hope-filled men I've ever met. And when I look at Scripture, I think of Abraham as one of the most hope-filled men that we could ever meet on the pages of Scripture. And if you're, uh, you know, familiar with church at all, you know that Abraham was the father of many nations. Can we, can we sing it together? Father Abraham. Oh, my gosh, more of you know this. We're not singing this. Stop. Okay. <laughs> Cut it out. You're not Rashonda. Um, we, uh, 
The, the reason they call him Father Abraham for, was for a lot of reasons. If you read through the book of Genesis, a lot of tragedy happens in 11 chapters. Like chapter 1 and 2, for the most part, are beautiful. God breathes the stars into existence, and, and there's life, and there's hope, and he creates the universe, and he creates the water and the land and the animals, and creates Adam and Eve. He breathes life into humanity made in his own image. In chapter, um, uh, as we go through the chapters, though, we see that they eat the forbidden fruit, and there's... Uh, the curse of the fall, and then in the immediate next chapter, no surprise, is the first recorded murder of, of Cain and Abel, and we just go through, we see the wickedness of the land, and so God decides to flood the world, we got Noah, then we eventually have the Tower of Babel, and we have all these crazy things, and it's just like the world is just careening off the rails, but it comes to a hard stop, and the most pivotal chapter almost in Scripture, in Genesis 12, when, when God for the first time speaks to a human being and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And here's what I'm going to do. And by the way, what happens in Genesis 12 is what unfolds throughout the rest of the entirety of Scripture. And until the end of times, he speaks to a man named Abraham, and he says, I, through you, am going to give you a son, an heir, and it's going to be a lineage. And that's why he's called Father Abraham, because through Abraham came his children and his children's children that eventually became the children of Israel, through which eventually became Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of the world, through which came everyone that believed on him would now be called the children of God, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters in the family of God. So he's Father Abraham. He's also called Father Abraham because even though he was far from perfect, Scripture records that his belief and faith in God was credited to him as righteousness, which was a foreshadowing of the day we live in. Anybody like me, thank God you're a screw-up like me, and you're thankful for grace. You're thankful that you could never do enough to earn your way up to God, but because of what Jesus did, by faith we're justified. And so that's Father Abraham, and God speaks to him and says, I'm going to give you a son. Here's the problem, though. This is important to know that as you read Scripture many times, you may not realize this, but sometimes you think one chapter over is just like a, the next day. Many times one chapter over is years or even decades. And by the time we get to Genesis 15, Abraham's been through the ringer. First off, when God made him a promise he was going to have a son, Abraham was 75 years old. And God told him to leave the land he was familiar with, leave his comfort zone. He ends up having family issues. He ends up screwing up in, in some pretty significant ways. He ends up having wars. He ends up going through all kinds of things. And finally, in Genesis 15, uh, we come across this encounter. And if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to start in verse 1. Or if not, we've got the big sky Bible. It says this. God comes and he knows that Abraham's disappointed. He says this, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Isn't it crazy how all those years had now tanked his faith? See, it's easy to get excited about how much we need hope, but let's just be real. It's the disappointment of hope that chips away our hope. And years had passed. The delay had become depressing, and now Abraham was heartsick. And you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, the disappointment and the struggle of faith is not in the size of the miracle, but the size of the delay that's come without the miracle coming to pass. 
Sometimes it's not the extent of what I'm asking God to do. It's the extent of the delay to which I once said, God, sure you can give me a child. God, sure you can do this. God, sure you can show up in this way. But let's just be honest. Can we just, can this just be a real room for a moment? Enough time passes and eventually you say, yeah, I, I, I once believed that that might happen. I once believed God might fulfill that promise. I once believed that what he spoke to me came to pass, but the size of the delay has crushed my faith. And this is what happened to Abraham. And so he says, God, but I remain childless. And then he says this. He says, you have given me no children. Now, if you were going to pray today an honest Abraham prayer, not a Miss America, God give us world peace prayer, but like a real prayer, I wonder what your you have not would be. You have not healed me yet, God. You've not done this in my family yet. You've not delivered me from this mental, emotional struggle. You've not done this. What would your you have not be? And Abraham said, God, you have not. You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, you unbelieving, stupid idiot. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Then God said, you need to read the Bible a whole lot more. You should, by the way, but I mean, unless you're like me and you just read it you know, five hours a day, then you're probably good. That was, a, that was a joke. I feel like I need to speak that into this deafening silence. It's like he does. Oh, my God. I mean, you can think that. I'm okay with that, but. He said, you need to pray a whole lot more, Abraham. No, I want you to see one of the most beautiful pictures in all the scripture. It says this. It says, God, he took him outside. Tell the person beside you, shove him. Say, let's go outside. Let's go outside. Okay, I'm going to give you permission. If you know the person, get a little rougher than that. Not, let's go outside. No, no, let's say, let's go outside. It says, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. So we have a picture I want us to see of the sky, of the stars. And I want us to see, here's here's what happened. Abraham, see in Genesis 13, what we've not seen yet is that Abraham actually set up a tent because he's a nomad, right? He's living, he's homeless. He set up a tent in the wilderness, and he's been living in this tent probably for several years. And if I don't get past any point, somebody in this room, you need to hear not my voice. You need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in this moment. God goes to Abraham in this moment with his hope shriveled, his hope bucket low, his dreams feeling like they're dead. I mean, anybody, anybody like me, sometimes you're like, okay, I know all the encouraging scriptures, but I can hold up real life evidence that it's not in the cards. In this moment, Abraham could have held up biological evidence that God is not in the cards. It's not going to happen. And God said, I'm going to take you by the hand, not by the throat, by the way. I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to get you out of this tent, and I'm going to show you a new picture. In other words, Abraham, you've been in the tent too long. 
You've been in the tent of your own disappointment long enough. You've been in the tent of how you wish it would have happened or didn't happen long enough. And Abraham, the most loving thing I can do for you, and this is what I'm praying over this series, what I'm praying over the book, is what I'm praying over you today. This is what I pray happens in your spirit and your heart today. As God says, Abraham, let's go outside of the smallness of your tent, the smallness of your dead dreams, the smallness of your perspective, and let me give you a new picture again of who I am. Let me give you a new picture again of how great and big and glorious and capable I am. Let me give you a new picture of the the future because Abraham you're convinced that you're not even going to be able to have one kid but did you know if you look up on a really clear night if you're out in the country you can see up to 2,000 stars and he said Abraham you're convinced that not one of these is going to come to pass but I want you to get a brand new picture for your life I wonder what tent God wants to get you out of today I wonder what new picture he wants to show you today and so it says this Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of the Chaldeans to give you the land to take possession of it. I want us to talk real quick in closing about four things we can do to fill up our hope bucket. Is this helping anybody? Anybody like me, you could use some fresh hope in your life. Anybody like me? But before we do, I want you to know that Abraham, since you're here, he did have his child. But I want to read to you a few thousand years later what Paul wrote to the Roman church about what happened with Abraham. Read, listen to this. This is in Romans 4, verse 16. It says this, so the promise is received by faith. Somebody shout by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we uh, live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened. Somebody needs to write this verse, what I'm about to read, over every dead dream in your life, over every closed door, over every disappointment. This verse alone fills me with fire. It says this, this happened. Can we just read this together? Can we read this together? This happened. Come on. Because Abraham, everybody together. Okay, you got it. I'm, I'm ink and warrior time. Are you with me? This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Do you still believe God can do that? It says this, this is why this happened, because Abraham believed in the God who brings dead things back to life and creates new things out of nothing. Even in, here's the verse, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Somebody needs to write this down. Hope's a decision. Hope's a decision. I love that. He says, even when there was no reason for hope, I kept hoping. One translation says this, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. It reminds me of David in Psalm 42 when David says, my heart is anxious within me. It's hot within me. It's full of turmoil within me. But then he turns the message and speaks to his own soul and says, but why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God again. Put your hope in God. He speaks to his own soul. It reminds me of the writer of Lamentations when he says, I'll never forget this awful time. I'll never forget this dreadful time. But then he turns the page and says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are are new and fresh every morning. He says, I'm going to dare to hope. Can I tell you, hope when you least feel like it is the greatest dare you'll ever take. 
He says, I still dare to hope. David said, I'm going to choose to hope. And the writer says that Abraham, against all hope, hoped. See, here's what I've learned. Hope isn't a discovery, it's a decision. That he chose to hope. A few things Janice is going to play, so I shut up. But four ways to fill our hope buckets. Number one is this. To fill our buckets with hope, we must fill our eyes with fresh vision. Because hope only exists in the future. Since hope only exists in the future, the equivalence of my vision is the equivalence of the hope. Can I give you just a challenge, homework assignment this week if you need any more hope? Take five minutes a day over this next week and pray for God to fill your eyes with fresh vision. God, give me fresh vision for the future. God, I, I've, it's, it's like when the, the prophet came up, to, um, came up to Saul and said, how long will you grieve over what I've rejected? How long will you keep licking the wounds of yesterday, anoint your head with oil? Isaiah 43 says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And if we're going to fill our buckets with hope, we need to fill our eyes with fresh vision. It says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where my vision's perishing, my hope's perishing. Fill our eyes with fresh vision. Number two, fill our mouths with faith. Can I remind somebody? God created the world with his words, and so do you. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. Can I give you another challenge? You're like, he's really challenging. He's just giving me homework all week. It's okay. It'll change your life because it's changed my life. Here's the challenge this week. We all need safe places to be honest, don't we? We all need safe places to say, hey, bless the Lord, brother. Today sucked. Is that okay? Life's been crappy, and I know all the cliches, and I know all the right things to say, but... Man, what I'm going through is real. But can I give you a challenge this week? Close the, no matter how honest you are, close the loop on every conversation with faith. So at the end of every, man, today's awful. Man, I don't know how I'm going to make it. Why don't you close it by speaking the word of God over your life? Because I don't know, me, so many times I'm speaking death over my future. I'm speaking death over myself. I'm talking about myself in my head the way I would never talk about another human being. Anybody else? So if you're full of shame, good news today, Jesus is already crucified for you. Stop crucifying yourself. Here's good news today. I may feel lonely, but at the end of me being honest about how I can feel, I can say, but I'm so thankful the Lord will never leave me or forsake me. He's not left me yet. He's not leaving anytime soon. And as I keep praying, God is going to give me God-faith-filled friends to get through this journey. Man, I've been addicted this long. I don't see how this is ever going to pan out, but I know this, whom the sun sets free is free indeed, and the work he began in me, he will bring to completion. Man, I can't believe I did this. I want to confess it. I want to repent. I want to, but I'm so thankful that the word says he is faithful and just not only to forgive me, but to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to pray, create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, but restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I'm going to close the loop. The default language of my mouth is going to be faith, not fear. There's, there's a funny line where in one of the chapters, 
God comes back and has to convince Abraham again that it's going to happen. He's going to have a kid. And at this time, he's 100 years old. And it's really funny. You should go back and read it. It says, and Sarah laughed. And the Lord, this part, this part makes me feel bad, or it makes me feel better every time I feel like I'm too argumentative. The Lord said, why did you laugh, Sarah? And Sarah, the audacity says, I didn't laugh. And I love this. It's my favorite line in all scripture. The Lord said, yes, you did. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Some of y'all aren't laughing, but it's so funny. But the Lord took issue with the fact that her lips were filled with fear instead of faith. Number three, fill our hands with good things. I'm going to go old school here. I can't create a beautiful future if I'm using the material from the past. And what sabotaged the children of Israel is God had delivered them. They were no longer in Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. There are some things you can't take with you to the promised land. There are some things you can't take with you to the future you're planning. There are some, there are some habits that were okay in Egypt, that were okay in the past, but I can't take forward into the future. Not, not if I believe that I'm going to reap what I sow. Not if I'm believing for a God-filled destiny. Not if I'm believing. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you something. Can you just do this? Put your hands out right here. These hands were meant to design beautiful things. These hands were meant to praise God on Sundays, to be lifted in the presence of the Lord. These hands were meant to heal other people. These hands were meant to be a ball. These hands were not designed to throw mud at other people. These hands were not designed to fight wars unless they're spiritual wars. These hands were not designed for immorality and compromise. But I have a choice to either use these hands to build the future or keep creating the past. I gotta fill my hands with good things. And number four, I know this sounds really cliche, I gotta fill my thoughts with Jesus. See, at the end of the day, hope is not only a concrete thing, hope isn't even a thing, hope's a person. And his name is Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews said, here's the key, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, because Jesus is in the story. I heard there was an inspired conference yesterday. You know, there's a verse from Proverbs 31 talking about the godly woman, and I love this verse. of not a woman, but I claim it because I, w- I want to live it one day. It's my favorite verse in, in all of it. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's crazy. It says, and it's talking about the virtuous woman. It says, and she laughs at the future. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So many times I've, lo- I've looked toward the future and wanted to cry. I want the kind of defiant joy. I don't want to step into tomorrow with dread. I want to step into it with expectation. I want the kind of holy faith and supernatural anticipation in my bones that I laugh at the future. And I've just been recently just thinking about, I just can't get out of my mind that if Jesus really is the shepherd of my soul and I'm sitting at the table with him and according to Psalm 23, I lack nothing, then when Jesus in the story, what does it look like to actually live like my cup is full? Here's what Paul, by the way, prayed for Romans. We're going to skip a verse. Can we go to that last verse, Romans 15, 13? Here's what Jesus prayed, or here's what Paul prayed. He prayed this. He says, may the God, in fact, stand up. Can you stand up right where you are? Here's what I'm praying over every soul today. I know it's been a shotgun. Hopefully you've written enough down and opened your mouth wide enough to where you'll be good for a week. But can, here's what Paul prayed. Here's what I'm praying over you. He says, may the God of what? Hope. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may what? Have halfway full? Partially full? That you may over, can we say that in a phrase? Overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Every hand raised right where you are. 
every hand, eyes closed, hands raised to heaven. If you need fresh hope, tell the Holy Spirit right now, right where you are. If it's out of your comfort zone, if, if, if you're brand new to church, no pressure in this moment. But if you've known Jesus for a while, even if it's out of your comfort zone, I want to encourage you to lift your voice. And right now, wherever you are, tell him, say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, I, I am lacking, I am dry, I am empty, but right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you fill me with fresh hope? Right now, would you fill me with your spirit? I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And if I got the hope of glory inside me, then no demon I face, no mountain I come across can stop what you're doing in my life. So Lord, I speak over Everyone, under the sound of my voice, I speak healing to every wound. I speak comfort for every disappointment. And I speak your power. And I pray today and in this season that you would take us by the hand, lead us out of the tent, and help us to dream again, God. Help us to dream again. Help us to look at the stars. Help us to take our eyes off the giants and put them back on the milk and honey that you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We want to connect with you, and we want to be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at thex.church, or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.